we're going to start, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to start in Genesis 19. We're going to read just a few verses there. Um, but really in connection with some of my opening remarks earlier, I know that current events and the state of our nation and some of the stuff that we're going through as a nation and some of the things that have happened, especially over the past few years, most of the time they're, uh, they're pretty close to the forefront of people's minds. And all I'm going to say as relates to this sermon is this. As believers, whatever happens politically, whatever happens culturally, whatever happens in our society, whatever happens here in Glenville, in the state of Georgia, across the nation, whatever things occur, it is imperative that we think as believers. That our minds operate and process new information. That our minds process current events from faith. From a position that we are redeemed. We know the one true God of all creation as Father. And we know the Son as Lord and Savior. And we have been granted wisdom and insight through the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, so that, that when, we, when we are bombarded with news, current events, whenever there's political uproar or anything of the like, that we process all of those things with a renewed mind. With a mind that is grounded and rooted in, in scriptural truth. The result of not processing things through the mind of a believer and through a mind that is rooted and grounded in Scripture. There's many different things, but, but mainly the one I want to focus on is if, our, if we're not processing that information as a believer that is grounded and rooted, then we will be tempted just like everybody else in America. We will be tempted to process everything and just emote and, and we'll just let our emotions take over. And we might get angry. We might be bitter. We might be frustrated. Uh, we might just get irate. We might be heartbroken and devastated over particular things. But at the end of the day, if we're not thinking and operating with that renewed mind of a believer, we are going to be led by our emotions and we're going to become just as just as emotional and irrational as the rest of the populace around us. Now, I make those comments because I know the content of the sermon today, and I know that there's going to be some things that may be brought up or mentioned that even as you're listening to this sermon, you might hear me mention a particular thing, and your emotions are going to want to take off, and your mind is going to start racing like, oh, yeah, I... I don't like stuff like that. No, that's what's wrong with the world today. And you're going to be tempted to just tune out of the sermon because your emotions took over. And your mind started racing about stuff that gets your blood boiling. Don't do that. One of the goals that I have through this sermon is I want to hopefully encourage us and, and remind us 
how to think biblically over some particular things that are current in the world today. We're in Genesis 19. We've covered the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So in, in a way, we're, we're backtracking a bit and we're going to recount uh, some of the events that took place. Last time we covered this, uh, the Sunday before Father's Day, we looked really at Lot. How in the world could Lot have been considered righteous? And we reminded ourselves of the Gospel. That we're justified by faith. Okay? And I mentioned that we would come back to this particular section where in verse 15... Um, sorry, not verse 15. I'm jumping ahead already. Verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And just by way of reminder, if you were not here, there are two messengers, two angels that have come to Lot. They are at his house. The men of Sodom gather around the house and they call to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg of you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. And again, just by way of reminder, if you were not here with us, when, when you read that phrase, bring them out that we may know them. These men of Sodom have a sexual agenda in mind. And so Lot goes to the door and some of us would, would he does the unthinkable. Don't harm these men. Here's I've got daughters that have not known a man. I'll give them to you. You do with them as you please. But they said, verse 9 now, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. And that last little phrase there was, was the one that two weeks ago I said, well, we'll come back to this because if you ever wondered just how wicked, just how evil was the current state at Sodom and Gomorrah at this point, you would think, and I will paint the same picture, you would think that if you were on your way to accomplish some wicked agenda that you had, and you were stricken with blindness, that that would cause you to think, oh, what am I doing? That would get your attention and that would stop you from trying to accomplish what you were going to accomplish. These men were struck with blindness and they wore themselves out groping for the door. Still trying to get to Lot. Still trying to get inside. Stricken with blindness, yet it did not stop them from their evil intentions, which at this point... We're not just about the two men in the house. They, they wanted Lot 
And they were going to do worse to him than with the two men. Previously in Genesis, we read where the Lord said, I'm going to go down to Sodom, more or less to see about the outcry that has come up to me, to see the wickedness of that. We First and foremost, we cover that God, of course, has no need to learn things. But we're told that right before Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And really, ultimately, we know his main concern was, was Lot. But if we were wondering just how wicked, just how evil the state of the culture, the society there in Sodom and Gomorrah was, look no further. The men of Sodom came out. Bring us out those two men that we may know them. And Lot, living in the place at the time, he actually offers up his daughters, but that was, that was an unacceptable offer to them. Made them so irate that they said, well, we'll do to Lot worse than what we were going to do to the two men. There was a reason that God's wrath and judgment was, was imminent upon Sodom and Gomorrah. With that being said, we're going to jump now to current events, our modern culture, the, the American way of living it seems nowadays, and we are in the midst of <clears throat> what has been dubbed Pride Month. I want to make a, a couple of brief comments here that, that even within Christendom, even within the church nowadays, there's this there's an even stronger movement to try to, at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is rewrite Scripture and say, oh, well, homosexuality is not a sin and homosexuality wasn't in the Bible. That was something that was added years later. We're in the book of Genesis, so let me just make a few brief comments. It was not that long ago that we were actually covering the creation account in the book of Genesis when we first set out. We know that God created Adam and Eve. And they were instructed, be fruitful and multiply. One of the reasons that homosexuality is an affront to God and direct rebellion against God is that at its very core, it's a reversal and a refusal to submit to God's created order. To Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Male to female relationships result in life. They are able to produce life. Male-male relationships, female-female relationships. If society and culture was overrun with that, it's a culture of death. Incapable of producing life. At its very core, it is rebellion against God. Okay, And I'll leave it at that for now. We know that God created man. Male and female, He created them. Male and female. We're tempted at times as Christians to think, well, that's so simple. How could you mess that up? I mean, we're alive in a world today where they think there's over 70 genders. Where on earth did that come from? I'm not here to tell you where on earth they got all the ideas of the 70 genders. But where it comes from is this. At its core, at a foundational level, it is rebellion against God's created order. 
when mankind, when a society makes, makes up their mind that there is one thing that they will not do. And that is acknowledge God and submit to His order. You come up with all kinds of wickedness. With all kinds of confusion. With all kinds of lies and deception. For us as believers, it really is as simple as saying, the God of all creation has spoken. He has given us in His Word what we need to know about creation. About how life is supposed to operate. And He tells us in His Word, male and female, He created them. There's two genders. We live in a world today that's trying to undo that and add all kinds of different stuff. People that are trying to change genders and even that at its core is a refusal and a rebellion to submit to God's order. Well, I know I was made this way, but I'm going to make myself, I'm going to recreate myself another way. I'm going to decide what I am or who I am or what gender I am. And it's an attempt to play God. So at times, as believers in our world today, we may be tempted to question and to be concerned about how do we react and how do we respond in a, in a society like this? What is our responsibility? How are we supposed to be and to live and to act and to treat others in a society that is so overrun with rebellion against God. What is our responsibility? Well, one thing I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt is it is not our responsibility to run around hot-headed with our emotions high saying things like, well, people who do stuff like that, they're just stupid. People who live like that, I can't stand them. Oh, I just can't stand people that... That's not our responsibility. That is not God honoring. And it helps nothing except to feed our own emotions. It makes us feel better sometimes when we just blow off some steam. Right? That doesn't help anybody else around us and it doesn't glorify God. It's not our responsibility to just secretly judge people who are living a sinful lifestyle and think to ourselves and, and think... And, and think not saying it out loud, but we, we're thinking to ourselves, I just, I cannot stand people like that. I wish I didn't even have to see them. I walk into a restaurant and I see, I see couples like that and I see people living that and I just want to eat somewhere else. That's not our responsibility. So what is our responsibility? First and foremost, again, we have to think and process these things biblically. From a Christian worldview. With a mind that is grounded and rooted in Scripture. Secondly. As we know truth. We share truth. We speak the truth. We share and speak and stand for truth. Not hot-headedly. That's even a word. Not with a hot head. Not with emotions raging. Not with a red face where we're yelling at people and everything. But we calmly speak truth. Hey, there is a God. He has created all things. He has authority over all things. He is a God of order. Here is God's order. Tell them of God's created order. Tell them that all 
have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So thirdly, we have a responsibility. Share the hope of Christ with all. Call all men to repentance and salvation. That is a goal. That is what we are called to do as believers. And you say, but, but how can we do that? I, I see stuff that's going on and it just makes me so angry and it just hurts me so much. And I, I wish this wasn't going on in our country and it's not supposed to be this way. As politely as I can, whenever you struggle with those thoughts, I would encourage you to look at yourself in the proverbial mirror and just say, accept it. This is real life. Regardless of how we feel, well, it ought not be this way. Or I never thought I'd live to see the day. Well, you did live to see the day. And it is this way. And you are living in this world. And you've got a responsibility in how you live in this world. And we will either glorify God in how we're living and how we're responding, or we will not. Now one more thing. As believers, we've got to understand that the strong emotions that we may feel and experience when it comes to the sin of homosexuality, the confusion and chaos that is transgenderism and, and all of those things, as believers, we've got to understand this. We should hate the sin of adultery. We should hate the sin of jealousy. We should hate the sin of anger. We should hate sin in general with the same kind of zeal where we say it ought not be. That ought to be repented of. That lifestyle, that sinful lifestyle, we need to encourage people to repent, be saved. Come out of that lifestyle. We cannot, as Christians, just pick and choose. And I know that that's something that many preachers say. But we've got to actually put that into practice. We, and we can't pick just one sexual perversion that we say, I can't stand that. We should hate pornography. And the fact that millions of people all across America, men and women alike, have an addiction to pornography. Sex trafficking, things of that nature. We should feel that same zeal, that burning, holy, righteous anger against sin, against those things. And again, I say, sins of adultery. Men and women, married men and women, having affairs, things of that nature. We should look at those things and we should say, that is rebellion against God. It is sin. And sin brings death. So I wanted to offer just a simple warning there. Believer, do not pick and choose which sins that your righteous anger burns hot against. We should have righteous indignation against all sexual deviancy, against all sexual perversions, against all sin. So keep that in mind before we turn our attention to Romans 1. As you're turning to Romans 1, I'll say this. Many of us, we look 
at a narrative like Sodom and Gomorrah, and we may think, well, they got what was coming to them. A place that wicked, a place that vile, a place that sinful, of course God would judge a place like that. And then if we think a bit longer, and we start to make some modern day connections, we, we may think to ourselves, well now wait a minute, The stuff that was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah is happening here. Well, if God's wrath and judgment fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah, why hasn't it fallen on us yet? We may be tempted to think that. And then that may bleed over into, okay, well, well, things of that nature, sins of that nature, and sin in general, when sin just overtakes a society... God is going to judge sin. He's a just God. And and things of that nature, they, they not only deserve God's wrath, but open, unrepentant rebellion against God and, and, and blasphemy against God, open rebellion like that, that invites the wrath of God. That just invites God's judgment. And you may think, well, well that's what's going... Look at, look at the world around us today. I'm not trying to be a, a, a source of news. I don't work for CNN or Fox. Thank goodness. But I'm a baseball fan. And even watching a baseball game. I'm not a L.A. Dodgers fan. But there's two, two players that I gained a lot of respect for for actually speaking up and defending things. But, but in an L.A. Dodgers game, I didn't even know this group of people existed. So... Forgive me if I get their title wrong. The it's either the sisters or the brothers of perpetual indulgence. And it's a group of LGBTQ plus people that they just their whole their whole shtick is to mock, namely the Catholic faith, but to mock religion. And they were invited as guests of honor. For the L.A. Dodgers Pride Day. Now, in a bit of irony, I guess you could say, if I'm under, I don't really keep up with the news. I don't read into too much of this stuff. I honestly don't. So, if my facts are correct, and if I remember what I read correctly, that was the lowest attended Dodgers baseball game that has been in a very, very, very long time. It was basically an empty stadium. So the day did not go as planned. But there was two players in particular that actually made public statements. We are Christians. We're of the Christian faith. And one of them actually went so far as to bring up, to actually bring up Scripture. Imagine that. A Christian bringing up Scripture. And saying that these things are not to be celebrated. So on and so forth. I bring that up simply to say, this is the world we're living in, guys. This is our generation today. This is where we're at. Where things of that nature are celebrated, put on a platform, elevated, celebrated. I have a whole month, Pride Month. So yes, there is a part of this where we should look at it and we say, this is wrong. This is sinful. This is wicked. But we've got to get to the point where we say, 
How do we properly respond? And we respond simply by telling people the truth. This is wicked. This is wrong. This is sin. God commands all people everywhere to repent. We preach the truth. We share the truth. Say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, I'm not called to full-time Christian ministry. Yes, you are. If you're a Christian, you are in full-time Christian ministry. Your very life is full-time Christian ministry. When you go to the workplace, you're responsible to share truth. When you're out running errands and getting groceries and doing your shopping and stuff around town, getting your oil changed, whatever it may be, you have a charge to your life to share the truth. But we may think, again, in our society, we may come to the place where we say, why has God delayed His wrath here? In America. Why hasn't America just been taken out? Why are there other places in the world that have not just been taken out? And that's specifically what I'm driving at here because I want to say two things. We look at Sodom and Gomorrah and we say, we know why they got destroyed. We could see the wickedness there. Why has God not poured out His wrath here? And so to that I say, well, He has and He hasn't. Romans chapter 1. This is where I would say He has poured out wrath. A form of judgment. We read verses 18 through 23 earlier. The wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's an important point. Um, Trying to be brief here. All I'm going to say about that is this. Scripture teaches us that every single person that exists knows that God exists. Even the atheist that you may... I don't believe in God. I do not believe in a God. Yes, they do. They're suppressing the truth of God in their unrighteousness. Um, And that's important. That's important for us to understand. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Through creation... His invisible invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. But notice what it says. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals. And creeping things. Another connection real quick to Genesis here. When Adam and Eve chose to submit to the authority and the ideas of the serpent. Rather than to God. In essence what they did was to worship the creation rather than the creator. They knew who had the authority. They knew who had made them. And they knew what the law, the rule was. The serpent comes along. With a subtle temptation. Did he really say? And Adam and Eve choose to buy into the thinking of the serpent. To the ideas of the serpent. And so they obey the creation. The serpent. Rather than obeying the creator. And there's nothing new under the sun. From the beginning it has been this way. Professing to be wise. They they were seeking to be wise. He knows when you eat of that. You'll have the knowledge. You will be like him. You will know the things that he knows. 
a desire to be wise. That temptation and professing to be wise, they became fools. It's no different today. There's idols all around us. But specifically here it says, They exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Think about the idols of the world. Think about the statues that you've seen of, uh, of Buddha and, and other dragons and other things that people will, will bow down to and worship and, and burn incense to. And it's all the image of man, creeping things, animals. Nothing has changed. Therefore, verse 24, and this is where I say, God has judged. God has poured out wrath. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. error. These things are a direct result of God turning a people over, which is a form of God's judgment. A form of God's wrath being poured out. Turning man over to a a reprobate mind. A mind to do uh, debaucherous things. Turning them over to their own ways. And we see there in verses 26 and 27 that one of these specific things that is mentioned is women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. That is a result of being turned over by God. That is a sign of God's judgment. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Now here again, I'll give my second reminder. Lest anybody be confused, I don't want anybody to leave here today thinking, well, our preacher preached on homosexuality today. Man, that was a that was a that was a good sermon against homosexuality, and oh, I, our preacher preached a good sermon today. No, yes, we're using Sodom and Gomorrah as a reference point. We did just mention specifically the sin of homosexuality, but now pay close attention, please, pay close attention to this list that Paul is going to give that describes those that have been given over to a debased mind. Listen to all of it. Do not focus all of your attention upon the sin of homosexuality. Look at this list. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There you go. 
If you say, what are the types of things that we are to hate as Christians? What, what, is there a list of sins anywhere that we should just look at and we should say, that right there is all manner of unrighteousness. None of that stuff should be tolerated and put up with among the body of believers. Those are the things that we should be at war with. When Scripture says to kill sin, those are the things that we should say, I'm putting you to death. I will not serve you. I will not walk in unrighteousness. I'm free from the burden of sin. And I'm free to not obey sin. And I'm not walking in those paths anymore. Okay, well here you go. Now some of these things are the big sins that we look at and we say, yep, oh, I know that's wrong. Things like murder. Maliciousness. They say, well, murder, maliciousness, malicious intent. Yeah, all those things are Envy. Strife. Deceit. Gossips. Slanderers. Now we're getting more to these areas. These are the sins that it's real easy for us to say, everybody does it. Uh, who doesn't gossip a little bit? Right? <laughs> hey, come on. It's just, I just like to know what's going on. And so does everybody else. I mean, we live in a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows what's going on. Gossip is unrighteousness. Slander is unrighteousness. Haters of God. Insolent. Haughty. Boastful. Inventors of evil. And this one, this one has always stuck out to me. Even when I was young. Because I was disobedient to my parents. And that's one thing about all kids. Kids got to sow their wild oats, you know. They got to, it's part of it. It's part of growing up. There might be a little nugget of truth in there. Yeah, children are sinners. So there's going to be sin involved when you raise children. But in the middle in the middle of this list of all manner of unrighteousness, and Paul is describing a, a society or a culture that has been given over to a debased mind, disobedient to parents. And we might think, what's the big deal? I mean, every child is disobedient to their parents. What are, what are the Ten Commandments? You don't have to list them to me all, but just think about the Ten Commandments real quick. Is there something in there about mother and father? And if you were to look at this list that Paul gives here and look at the Ten Commandments, you'd find out, oh, okay, I kind of see what Paul's doing here. He's taking all of the Ten Commandments and just giving a short summation of all of this stuff breaks all of these. And therefore... We all fall short of the glory of God. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And then this. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And with that being said, I'll point back. I'm sure some of you are already connecting this dot. That's the society we live in today. Things that invite God's wrath. Things that invite and almost beg for God's judgment are being celebrated, being promoted. And people are rejoicing when other people join the party. 
And yet, God hasn't fully wiped us out. God hasn't fully poured out His wrath. So first, what we just looked at there in Romans 1, God has judged. God has poured out a form of wrath. I think that many in America today have been given over to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. So He has. But at the same time, He hasn't. It rained a lot last week, but it did not rain fire and brimstone. Right? So He hasn't poured out fullness of wrath, fullness of judgment. Turn now to 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter, in speaking of scoffers and mockers of the Christian faith, some will say, well, where is your Lord? Why hasn't He come back? Verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So you say, why hasn't God poured out His wrath yet? Why hasn't God poured out His judgment yet? This earth, it's being stored up for judgment. Judgment is coming. Hold that thought. It's being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Full stop. God knows His people. In Sunday school, we went through the Gospel of John, last booklet that we went through. In John 10, Jesus says what? I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They will not follow the voice of another. I have sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them in also. Jesus knows His sheep and His sheep are still being brought in. There is not one of Christ's sheep, there is not one of God's people chosen before the foundation of the earth that is going to miss out on salvation. That is going to miss their redemption. They're still being brought in. God is not willing that any of His people perish and His people are still being brought to salvation. Okay? That's an important point. So two things we've covered in Second Peter thus far. Judgment is coming. This, this creation as we know it is being stored up for judgment. God is patient, not willing that any of His people should should suffer. That lets us know that God's people are still being drawn to Christ, still being brought to salvation. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now that sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah. When you think about the judgment and what it's going to look like, 
The heavenly bodies will be burned up, dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done in it will be exposed. We read earlier that it's being uh, stored up for fire. Jump to verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Why has God not poured out the fullness of His wrath and judgment yet? Because by His grace and His mercy, He is still calling many sons and daughters to salvation. And that is a good thing that ought to cause us to rejoice. And that also should cause us to run headstrong into the current of the wicked and the vile and the evil lifestyles of this world proclaiming the hope of the gospel. Because it is out of those people and many other people, but it is out of those that God is calling sons and daughters to glory. And if we just sit back on our duff, so to speak, and we think, well, I just can't wait for God to come back. I can't wait for the Lord to come back and take care of all this. If we just sit back and say, how long, O oh Lord? How long until you return? We are not going to be actively, zealously reaching out, sharing the gospel, proclaiming truth. Which is the very means that God uses to bring the children home. What did Jesus say? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. How is the voice of the shepherd heard in modern days? The preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word. In 1 Peter, he tells us that you were born of the imperishable seed of the Word. And if we are sitting back thinking, I can't stand this. How long do I have to endure this? We're forgetting so many key things. But namely, we were once lost, living a life of sin. Dead in our trespasses and sin. And God raised us up to, He raised us up to new life. Not because we deserved it, not because we were worthy, but because of His grace and because of His mercy. We are recipients of grace and how dare we not reach out into the world and proclaim that message of grace that saved us. How dare we be so arrogant and selfish and judgmental. How dare we think so highly of ourselves. Well, me hearing the gospel and getting saved is totally different than these people groups over here. They just need to be wiped out. Judgment is coming. But it's not here yet. Which should cause us to say, well, what's the point? Why isn't it here yet? Because the patience of the Lord is salvation. People need the truth. What is the remedy? to vile, rampant wickedness and rebellion against God, the proclamation of the truth. Straight truth. Not soft-hearted, sugar-coated, half-hearted truth. But truth. The type of truth like Paul in Acts 17, he stood, what we would say, like an amphitheater, of non-believers, and he says plainly, God commands all people everywhere to repent. You say, but that's the message that makes people angry. 
Yeah, right. Have you ever taken salt and just slammed it into an open wound? It doesn't feel good. The initial reaction is not going to be butterflies and rainbows. It hurts. Truth hurts. When you're living a life of open sin and rebellion, truth hurts. We are the salt of the world. And when salt gets applied to an open wound, it stings. It burns. They're not going to want to be best friends with us right out of the gate, probably. But for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of others being brought to salvation, we are called to stand and proclaim truth. What is our prayer? I wrote down three words. Because you say, okay, well, we need to be standing for truth, speaking the truth. What should we pray in a time such as this? It is at times good and proper to pray for God's judgment to come quickly. And at the same time, we should pray that, Lord, as long as you tarry your judgment and you tarry your wrath, saved souls continue to bring your children home to salvation in Christ. But I wrote down three words for the church. What should we be praying as a church? That God's people, that there will be repentance among God's people. God's people promoting and tolerating all kinds of different sin. And pretending that it's not a big deal. Gossip doesn't hurt. Everybody gossips in church. The church should repent of gossip. Oh, it's not a big deal that we bicker a little bit in the church house. It's okay. Those, those two or three families, they've never really gotten along. Repent. Unforgiveness. Well, it was 12 or 13 years ago, but I will never forget what happened. And I've never looked at that person the same. And I, I don't know that I can forgive them. Repent. Repent. We, need, we should be praying that God would bring repentance to His people. Repentance. Restoration. Restoration around God and His Word. That's it. God's people should be about God and His glory and His Word. Growing in the wisdom of the Word. Growing in obedience to the Word. And growing in proclamation of the Word. Repentance, restoration, and resurgence. I'm not one of these, as I'm sure you can tell, that promotes the idea that we should just sit back and say, even so come... Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Just any day now, be great, Lord. No. We need to be active out on the front lines. And we need to be praying. And I've heard this complaint, and I myself have made this complaint. That, oh, well, what, what, about, what about the generations that are up and coming? What about them? What's going to happen with them? Instead of worrying about what's going to happen with them, we need to be training them up, teaching them, raising them up in the knowledge and, and admonition and instruction of the Lord. Teaching them truth, raising them up in truth. So when they become adults, they are adults who stand for truth. And by God's grace, they won't just understand the truth, but they will have believing hearts having been born again. So we will raise up young, saved, redeemed men and women of God who will stand and fight for truth and fight for God's glory. So that's why I wrote down the word resurgence. That there will be an up and coming multiple generations that truly love God and proclaim God's truth to all around them. Repentance, restoration, 
and resurgence. And we'll close with a very simple reminder that we ourselves need to always be aware of and we need to share this with all those within earshot. How does anyone escape the wrath and the judgment of God? Christ alone is our only refuge. Christ alone is our only hope. Christ alone is our only Savior. There is but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And He laid down His perfect sinless life upon the cross, was buried, and is risen again. And He is the Savior of all who believe. But those who do not believe are already condemned. So there is a group of people that the wrath of God hovers over, is being stored up over, and will eventually be poured out. And there is another group of people in which the wrath of God has already been satisfied. And there's no more wrath to be poured out because Christ has taken it for them. And every single person that is alive today, doesn't matter what lifestyle they're currently living, it doesn't matter how much you disagree and you hate how they're living, they need to hear the message of salvation. It doesn't mean that they'll listen. It doesn't mean that they'll believe. But our responsibility is to stand and proclaim the truth and to share the hope of the gospel. We see what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. We see the wickedness. It's present today. It's present here today. What should our actions be? How should we respond? How should we pray? How do we treat others? How do we speak to others? Believer, I beg of you, think biblically. Think from faith. And you say, if you say, I don't yet know how to do that, go to the Word. Immerse yourself in the truth of God's Word. Cry out to God and ask of Him to renew your mind and to reshape the way you think and continue to mold you into the image of Christ and acknowledge that we do in fact have the mind of Christ. May God be glorified. We've got... I know that this is one of those sermons you might be thinking, well, there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot that was said and I I understand that. I know that there was a lot packed into that. If you have questions, further thoughts, concerns, come to me at any time. May God deal mercifully with us and strengthen us for the work of the ministry. And may He be glorified in all things. Let's close in a word of prayer.